Good morning. It's so great to be here with you. Uh, when I first started pastoring, one of the most scary things for me was when I would have to get up in front of people and to speak. And um, I would give anything to be speaking in front of people right now. It's scary speaking uh, with nobody here in front of me. So we can't wait till you're back. And uh, I don't know if you saw the Facebook meme or not, but it was a Forrest Gump. So picture Forrest Gump in your mind. He's sitting on the bench and he goes, um, and just like that, all of our pastors became televangelists. So, uh, you know, I, I, didn't, I never wanted to be a TV preacher. I still don't feel like I'm a TV preacher, and we can't wait till you're here. Uh, but thankful for technology. Thankful that we can all be together. Uh, thankful that we can, um, we can do this. Uh, so grateful for our tech team, for our worship teams. Uh, Jacob Coffey leads our tech team and just does a great job. And uh, thank you, Jacob, for all the work you're doing. And just uh, when you see him, when you're, back, when you're back around, just thank him for that. He's a, he just does a great job. And so we're ready for week two of this new series, Not So Basic Basics. The Not So Basic Basics, talking about the Sermon on the Mount, talking about the Beatitudes, one of, just the first sermon that Jesus gave. And, and as, his, as it is his first sermon, it causes me to think about the foundational documents or foundational speeches that are an important part of any group or people or nation. I think of our own history as the United States of America and some of the founding speeches and some of the founding documents that are a part of, of who we are. I think of Patrick Henry on March 23rd, 1775, his famous speech, if life's so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery, forbid it, God Almighty. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. I think of the uh, Declaration of Independence from July 4th, 1776, second paragraph, where it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, these are the principles and the foundations of our nation. Right? And so, and so I, this causes me to think about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount because we see in Matthew 5 that Jesus is revealing his kingdom to his disciples. Now, his is an eternal kingdom, so he wasn't forming his kingdom. He was revealing his kingdom. And if you were to go back and look at Matthew chapter 4, you would see that Jesus is going around preaching about his kingdom and, he's, and this new government that he's inviting them into. As he was preaching the kingdom, he was healing everyone who was sick, which was a manifestation of his kingdom. And so there's massive crowds. And, and then he leads his disciples away. And he brings them up on a hill to a quiet place overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And I believe we have a picture here for you of this, of the Sea of Galilee. I've been here. 
I've sat at this place where it would have been a place like this where Jesus would have gathered with his disciples and he would have explained these Beatitudes, this Sermon on the Mount that we're spending the next many weeks talking about. And so just picture yourself here. Just picture you're sitting here at the feet of Jesus and he's explaining these things to you and, uh, and just receive from him this morning. And so as he begins to explain how his kingdom works, how his government works, how his family works, how this new culture in Jesus works, uh, you know, they knew Jewish culture. They, they lived under Roman occupation. They knew what Roman rule was. But he began to explain to, him, to them how his kingdom works and how his family operates. And it's so different than the ways of this world. It's so different. It's upside down. It's different. And he needed them to understand this, to grasp this so they could fully operate and this kingdom living and the principles according to his kingdom. So this is his inaugural address as King Jesus. You see, friends, these aren't just cute sayings. You know, we see the Beatitudes on Christian art and in, and, in greeting cards, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the, it's so much more than that. You know, just as we talk about for our, our country, our uh, Declaration of Independence, um, our Constitution, you know, how we hold those to be so important and great, this I mean, this is the king of the universe. This is even greater than that. This even supersedes that. And, and he, he talks about these things. He, he goes on later in his sermon. He says, you know, you've heard, but I say. Because he begins to explain how his kingdom is different than the kingdoms of the earth. And, and, and his family is different than the families of the earth. And how to really operate in his family and his kingdom, we need to learn his ways. And so he begins to make these pronouncements. And last week... Pastor Ryan talked about blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I loved how Pastor Ryan explained it, this, this word blessed. Uh, he described it as congratulations. Uh, you're now in a place to receive from him that this is a pronouncement that God is making over us. And this word blessed is such an important word and it's a word full of power. You know, one of the translations for this word is blessings on you. Blessings on you when you're poor in spirit. Blessings on you when you're at the end of your rope. Blessings on you when you mourn. Blessings on you when you're persecuted for his name's sake. He's speaking these blessings. It's this conferment. Conferment. It's, this perf it's a performative word. It's action. It's not just nice words. It's not just like be blessed as you put it at the bottom of a letter or an email. It's not a salutation. It's actually he's ordering blessing on us when we live this way in his kingdom. He's actually delivering blessing. I think of it this way. Major League Baseball just opened back up this week, and we, you have an umpire there who's calling balls and he's calling strikes as they come across the plate. He's not just describing what is happening. He's actually declaring what is, and it becomes that because of what he has said. Those are action words. I, I hope that makes sense. Uh, it's like a judge when he uh, pronounces somebody guilty or pronounces somebody innocent. That's not just a description. Uh, he's declaring something, and that now becomes a reality. I had an awesome privilege this week of, of watching an adoption. And so I watched this adoption. These boys were adopted into this family. And the judge said, it's as if you were born into this family. You are now adopted in this family. This, this, what the, and it became a reality at that moment because of the authority that that judge has. It, it wasn't just a description. It actually happened in that moment. When I solemnize marriages, and when I say, you're now husband and wife, I can do that. I'm not just describing something. That becomes a reality because of the authority that's in me that, by the great state of Texas. 
it's, it's, it's when a chancellor or president of university confers a degree on somebody. It's not just a description. It actually happens. They receive that because of that authority that's there. And we have the king of the universe declaring blessings on, saying congratulations, uh, conferring that, placing that, declaring that over us when we respond to life this way, when we live this way. And that just changes everything. It, it just makes it, so I want to walk in these blessings, but I'm really bothered by this morning's service, the sermon. I'm really bothered by this text that we're dealing with. I, I, I'm being honest, like there's a huge part of me that just, I'm really bothered that Jesus begins talking about his kingdom by blessings on those who are broken, those who are contrite, those who are poor in spirit those who have come to the end of their rope, blessings on those who mourn. That's what I'm going to speak about this morning. Blessings on you when you're mourning. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about grief. I don't want to talk about suffering. I want to talk about happy stuff. I, I, th- this week, I have been mourning all week that I have to preach on mourning. I just... I haven't been excited about it. I'm just confessing that to you because none of us like to live in that area. We don't like to go in that space in our heart and our life because it's suffering, it's difficult, it's hard, but there's a promise built in. And I believe the Lord in his promise and I've experienced his promise and I know it's true that he really does command blessings on, that he really does bless us. He really does, when we come to him in our mourning, that he really does comfort us. And that's the promise that he gives yeah, I grew up in a church that was a happy church, like really happy. And if you weren't happy all the time, something was wrong with you. How are you doing today, brother? Oh, bless God, everything's amazing. And you knew it wasn't amazing, that person wasn't amazing, but they just, they faked it and it just wasn't real. And there's such a superficiality in that type of Christianity. There's a shallowness that's not based in reality. And I think, I think one of the things Jesus is doing here is he's helping his disciples really be human, really live in their humanity. And part of humanity is grief and is suffering and is sorrow. And as we, as we press into that, as we receive that, as we move into that, then we position ourselves to receive blessing from God. You know, I've, I've been with people at the, at the times of their death. I mean, they're just so close to death and it'll be amazing to me how sometimes the family, even the person are in denial about what's going on. They don't allow themselves to grieve to grieve is human. We live in a fallen planet. Once Adam and Eve sinned and were kicked out of the garden, everything went chaos. It was nuts, and it still is, and there's sadness and grief in this world we live in, and we can try to stuff it. We can try to ignore it. We try to suck up and move on, but it, only if we will embrace grief and loss and allow in that a blessing to come to be comforted by our Lord. You see, we struggle with this because we really want to be in charge. Like we, we don't like the fact that we're not in charge. We want to control everything. And then when we can't control stuff, we realize how little control we have. And we feel that difficulty of it, that we're not being in charge. And the reality is you, cannot, you can't mourn unless you're broken. And we don't want to be broken people. Yet Jesus says that it's the broken that inherit the kingdom. And so it's so countercultural. We see it as weak and we see it as something to avoid. But, the, but Jesus says, no, they, these are the secrets of the kingdom. And so I'm so thankful that he gives us examples in the Bible of those that have gone before us, this great cloud of witnesses that, that show us how to grieve, that show us how to receive comfort from the Lord. 
I want to start by talking about Job. Job is always hard for me to understand. Um, it's, it's a long uh, book of the Bible. It seems complicated at first, but when you begin to understand it, and I did for the very first time, I, I actually, um, one of my goals last year was to read the whole Bible in chronological order, and Job is the first book of the Bible chronologically. Um, just in full confession, I didn't get the whole, I didn't get the whole Bible read last year. Uh, it was a goal of mine, but I did start with Job, and I actually started listening to it on the way down here to San Antonio uh, for the unique class that I took down here. And so I was listening to it on audio as I was driving, I was listening to it in the message translation, and I really understood it for the very first time. And it be, it's become so valuable to me because I finally grasped it. I finally understood it. And it's, a, it's an amazing story. And it starts out so tragic. It starts out with a man uh, who lost everything in one day. Imagine losing everything in one day. But he had so much to lose. He, he was one of the richest men in the world. He had 7,000 sheep, like 3,000 camels, I think 1,000 oxen, 500 donkeys, had a huge staff. He had a massive estate, 10 kids. Job 1.1 says that he feared God and he shunned evil. He was a good man. But in one day, all the forces of earth and hell came against him, and he lost everything in one day. Enemies invaded, lightning struck, tornado happened. He lost all of his 10 kids in, in a natural disaster all in one moment. And in his response, he neither sinned nor blamed God, but he worshiped God. And then he gets sick after all of that. Boils cover his body, fear, chills, pain. He was sick to the point of death. He actually goes out to the city dump where the outcast had to live, and he sits alone, and he scrapes his boils with with, the, with clay from the dump, and, and he's isolated, and he's mourning his fate. And then his wife turns against him, and she tells him to curse God and die. And Job loses everything in that day. It was an extreme. And that's the word that Jesus uses for mourn. When he talks about mourning, it's extreme. There's nine different Greek words for, the, for mourn, and Jesus chose the most intense a word to use uh, this morning. It's like have you, ever, have you ever found out news? Have you ever found something out? And it was like you got hit in the stomach with a baseball bat and you're doubled over. And uh, maybe it's a diagnosis or maybe somebody died. I mean, this is the extreme pain of like a loved one dying and just, oh, it just, it catches you off guard and it just wrenches you. And it's just, it, you, you just feel it all the way through. It's like you get the breath knocked out of you. This is the kind of mourning that we're talking about. And Job was experiencing this extreme loss, this grief, and, and he lost everything in one moment in one day. Now, we lose things over time, and not in one day. We lose, we lose throughout, throughout life slowly, but life is still filled with loss. Yeah, I remember the day when I realized that as a pastor, eventually everybody was going to leave my church. Others would come, but everybody, one morning I was speaking, and I realized at some point, Every person I'm speaking to is going to be gone, either by death, by um, f not following God anymore, uh, by moving away, uh, changing churches. And I just remember being struck with that grief of loss after loss of when you, lo of when you lose people. Um, I, I, we all have loss. We, we lose our youthfulness. Uh, you know, plastic surgery can only do so much. Exercise can only do so much. We lose our youth. We have loss in our families. There's miscarriages. Uh, children die at birth. Uh, there's separations that happen. There's a foster care that, 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 that ends up happening through separation, through divorce, through leaving. There's divorce that happens. And then, then our children, they leave home. We have loss in our professions. 
and then our jobs. We, uh, we get passed over for promotions or we lose jobs or businesses close. Um, what we want to see happen doesn't happen or we get too old where we, at some point, we can't even work. Um, there's, there's loss from not having a spouse or there's, there's loss from d- divorce. There's, there's loss of our health. Maybe it's a, a broken hip or a leg, or, or cancer, or whatever it might be, but we're all losing our health slowly until we die. Aren't you glad you uh, tuned in this morning? Isn't this an encouraging message? There's, there's accidents that happen. We experience loss. There's affairs in marriage. There's abortions. There's suicides. There's deaths of friends. And, and even now, we're experiencing great loss in our world. Uh, there's incredible grieving over the killing of George Floyd and all that, that that represents. There's grieving over the killing of police officers, of, of what's just going on in our culture right now. And, and a lot of this grief is being manifest in anger. And, and then we have the pandemic, and we have just the financial losses. And, and with the pandemic, everybody is suffering, whether it's kids, teenagers, adults. Like, we all have this loss. We're, lose, we're losing not being with our friends Parents, you, you're, you're very possibly grieving schools not opening up right away. Um, we're grieving loss of activities, loss of jobs, loss of entertainment. Uh, kids that are graduating aren't able to have graduations. Weddings are canceled or postponed. Funerals can't be attended right now. Uh, people can't be with sick friends and family. And then there's death that's happening around us. There's vacations that you're not able to go on. There's promotions that aren't happening. There's family events you're meeting, you're missing. There's church gatherings that aren't happening. And there's these feelings of of sadness and, and of depression and of loneliness and of mourning and of grieving. And Jesus says, congratulations, blessings on you. If you'll enter into this morning, I have comfort for you. I will be present. I will be real. And he invites us into this. And and as all this is being stripped away, it prepares us to really receive all that Jesus has for us. You see, when we experience grief, when when we experience mourning, it's like grief is like a river. It's like a river. It can either carry you to Jesus and his love or his comfort, or you can try to block that river and end up stagnant and living in lies and delusion. See, we've developed these defense mechanisms to keep us from fully mourning and, 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 and to keep us from, from fully entering into loss and pain and grief. And see if you recognize anything. So I'm just going to name some of these. Some are denial uh, so, or selective forgetting, right? You don't acknowledge something that really does hurt or maybe minimizing it. Uh, you know, maybe you've got, maybe you're fired, but you go, well, it doesn't matter I got fired. I didn't like my boss anyway. He was a jerk. I didn't, I didn't like that job. But yet there's really a lot of pain inside. Uh, sometimes it can be blaming others, over-blaming yourself, or rationalizing um, situations to misrepresent reality, becoming angry or hostile, lying. You know, I've never seen more liars than at funerals. Have you ever noticed? I mean, you've been there, right? Where um, you know the person that's speaking, often a family member, they hate, they hate the person that's laying in front of them. Like there's unforgiveness, there's bitterness, there's anger, and yet they're talking about the person like they're a saint. And they're just, they're lying. They're, they haven't entered into their grief and their mourning. They haven't received that comfort that God would provide for them. And, and I, think, well, I think this is what a lot of us do with pain and suffering. We try to numb it. We try to numb it. We try to take the edge off of it. That's why there's so much addiction in our culture. Addictions of food, of alcohol, of addictions of shopping, of binge, binge watching TV or being on our phones constantly, just being checked out, um, working too much. 
And we don't even realize what we're doing, but we're trying to avoid the pain in our lives. And when we do that, we are not able to fully experience the comfort of, of God. So if we go back and look at Job, Job models for us how to grieve. Regardless of our family of origin, regardless of our culture, regardless of our personality, regardless of our gender, uh, he shows us a healthy way to, to mourn. The first one is to pay attention to the pain. Pay attention to the pain. I mean, it's, at first it just seems unbiblical because, you know, p- people ask you how you're doing and people will get this super spiritual real, uh, uh, persona about them and, and uh, bless God, uh, God's working all things for the good, even if I can't see it now. But it can seem so unspiritual to embrace pain, to embrace it, but it's actually the most biblical and the most human thing that we can do. You see, when the world around us goes dark with pain and suffering, Imagine it, the pain and suffering in front of you is like the sun setting in the west. And we want to chase after that sun. We want to try and stay in the light. We want to try to to get in that place of comfort and light. We don't like the darkness, but the quickest way to the other side is to actually turn east into the darkness, away and work our way through the darkness to the joy that's on the other side, the joy that's coming in the morning. And that's what Job did. That's what Job did. In fact, in in chapter 6, this is what Job said. He just, he, he paid attention to the pain. He said, if my misery could be weighed, if you could pile the whole bitter load on the scales, it would be heavier than all the sand of the sea. Is it any wonder that I'm screaming like a caged cat? <laughs> That's the message paraphrase. He was, he was crying out in anguish in the morning. He gives us an example of how to do that. He acknowledged the pain. He paid attention to it. You know, we have a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. Uh, Lamentations, the word lament is not a common word in our language, but it means passionate expression of grief and sorrow. David, uh, he wrote many psalms of lament. As we have the book of Psalms, two-thirds of the psalms are psalms of lament. Jesus, the night before his execution, he agonized in prayer with loud crying and tears. He sweated blood, great drops of blood in his grief, and it was his stress was so great. You remember the story of of Jesus when his friend Lazarus died. What does it say that Jesus did? It said that Jesus wept. He entered into that pain. Even though he eventually raised him back to life, he still embraced the pain and loss of losing his good friend. We don't know how long Job suffered, but like Job, there's a season of of waiting for the Lord. So first of all, we we acknowledge the pain. We, We... You could say embrace the pain. We pay attention to the pain. And then we wait and we go to the Lord in the confusing in-between time. This waiting, there's this in-between. When we experience the pain, we begin the morning. And when we see the comfort of the Lord, there's this in-between time of waiting that is so hard and is so uncomfortable, right? Because anybody, any, any of you like to wait? I almost said anybody here like to wait, but... Any of you, any of you like to wait? I don't like to wait. Just ask my family. Ask my family how much I like to wait. I don't like to wait at all. But Psalm 37, 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently on him. Mourning is about waiting on the Lord. And many of us have trouble waiting. Like we, we have trouble waiting on our coffee at Starbucks, just waiting in the drive-thru. We, why is everybody so slow today? Uh, and you know, this pandemic, there's a lot of waiting for this to be over. We just find ourselves in this season of waiting. 
It feels like we actually spend most of our life waiting on God, doesn't it? We wait on Him and we wait and we wait. But as we're patient, we wait on Him and we go after Him. He meets us there. But what I have found is that usually other people aren't very helpful in the waiting process. Have you noticed that? People want to help us. They want to cheer us up, but they mean well, but it usually doesn't help. So right now, my wife Heather is grieving the fact that uh, Canyon Springs, our board, won't open up our pool due to COVID. Now, I know that's first world problems, but, but we're paying for it, right? And, and we drive down the road, and all these other neighborhoods have their pools open, and she wants her pool open. So she's grieving the fact that this is our first summer in San Antonio, and her pool's not open. And, and it's hot out, and she wants her pool open, and we drive down these other roads, and everybody else's pool is open, and her pool isn't open, and, and she'll start telling others about how she wants her pool open, and, and, and other people, her friends will say to her, well, hey, just come swim in our pool, right, because they're trying to help. They're trying to comfort her in her sorrow and in her grief, but it doesn't help. In fact, it makes her madder because she's like, I don't want to go swim in their pool. I want to swim in my pool, and just as, as, as that example of that example of Heather, that when we are having, when we're grieving, often other people want to be, want, want to help us be happy. They want to take their happiness and give it to us, right? Like people want to, well, here, you can use my pool. She's like, I want my own pool. Others will try to bring their happiness to us. And we're like, I don't want your happy. I want my happy. I want to be, I want to be happy for myself. I want it in myself. And we see that in the story of Job. We see his friends who are called comforters who weren't comforters at all. They weren't, com- they weren't comforting him at all. In fact, there's about 30 chapters of dialogue between Job and his friends. And they're trying to give him all the right answers, but, but they're not. They're telling him, you know what, Job, you're reaping what you sowed. You must have done something bad, Job. You must have done something wrong. And they represent legalism. They get, that goes something like this. The, the reason you're not healed is you don't pray enough. You don't have enough faith or you don't read the Bible enough or there must be sin in your life. And for Job, this just wasn't true. Now, some of what they said was true, but it wasn't helpful at the time. And in this in-between time, you know what the best thing they could have done was just would have been to sit there and silent and just cry with Job. And you've probably experienced that where others have come and they've not helped. And, and I tell you what, we want to be the kind of people that help others in, in this time, isn't it? But Jesus had the same, same situation. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he died, which I referred to earlier. And he's in great pain, great sorrow, and he's weeping. And, he, and he's, he's asking the Lord, if there's any way, Lord, let this cup pass, pass, pass away from me. May I not have to take of this cup? And he has Peter, James, and John with them, and they fall asleep like they can't even hang with them. They can't. All he asked them to do is be present and pray, and they couldn't even do that. The reality is that we find ourselves in this time of waiting. It's an alone time. You can be married, you can be surrounded with people, but when you're in this moment of sorrow and of grief, you feel so alone. And that's okay. Because Jesus will meet us in that place of loneliness. Jesus will meet us in that place of suffering. That really nobody else can go there with you. But Jesus can. And Jesus does. It happened to Jonah. Jonah, he disobeyed God. I, you know, I love comparing Job and Jonah because Job didn't disobey God, yet a tragedy happened to him. 
Jonah did disobey God. Tragedy happened, but God worked in both of their lives. And whether our grief and our sorrow is caused by stuff we did ourselves or stuff that happens to us, God can meet us right in the midst of it anyway. And I love, I love Job, or excuse me, Jonah chapter two, where he prays this prayer. So if you don't know the story of Jonah, just, just real quick, he was supposed to go. The Lord told him to go preach the gospel in the city of Nineveh. He doesn't want to. He goes the opposite direction. Um, uh, the Lord sends a great uh, storm. Uh, he's thrown overboard. He goes, he goes to the bottom of the sea. He's swallowed by a great fish that's big enough to swallow him. This isn't fairy tales. This really happened. And he's in, the, he's in the belly of this great fish. This is what it says in Jonah chapter 2. It says, Then Jonah prayed to his God from the belly of the fish, and he prayed in deep trouble, deep trouble, I prayed to God. And he answered me. From the belly of the grave I cried, Help. You heard my cry. You threw me into ocean's depths, into a watery grave, with ocean waves, ocean breakers crashing over me. I said, I've been thrown away, thrown out, out of your sight. I'll never lay eyes again on your holy temple. Ocean gripped me by the throat. The ancient abyss gripped me and held me tight. My head was all tangled in seaweed at the bottom of the sea where the mountains take root. I was so far down as a body can go, and the gates were slamming shut behind me forever. Have you ever felt that way? He was literally at the bottom of the sea in the middle of a great fish's belly. I mean, you can't get any lower than that. Like he was in this storm. He was confined, but it was in this place that God met him. And friends, when we find ourselves in storms, when we find ourselves in places of loss, when we find ourselves figuratively in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the sea, that God will meet us there when we wait on him, when we cry out to him in the midst of this in-between. And then this is what he prays. Yet you pulled me up from that grave alive. Oh God, my God, when my life was slipping away, I remembered God and my prayer got through to you, made it all the way to your holy temple. Those who worship hollow gods, God frauds, walk away from their only true love, but I'm worshiping you, God, calling out in thanksgiving and I'll do what I promised to do. Salvation belongs to God. And verse 10, then God spoke to the fish and it vomited up Jonah on the seashore. So in these moments of waiting, this in-between where you've suffered the loss, but you haven't seen God yet, where you've got the diagnosis, but you don't know the outcome yet, with this in-between where you're alone and you're afraid, come to him, wait on him, wait on him. And then third, the third phrase, the third phase of embracing our grief and suffering is let the old birth the new. Let the old birth the new. Good grieving is not just letting go, but it's also letting God bless us. And God did that to Jonah. Jonah had that fish puke him up right in Nineveh, and he preached the gospel in the city, repented. Job did as well. He turned to God in his grief, and God blessed him. God gave him double of all that he lost. Jesus experienced the comforting presence of God in, at Gethsemane, and he had to go to the cross, but ultimately it resulted in the resurrection, and there wouldn't have been a, a resurrection without a cross. David in the Psalms gives us a beautiful picture of this. Uh, there's three types of Psalms. There's Psalms of orientation, where life is good, and then there's Psalms of disorientation, where life is all messed up. We hear David cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then there's Psalms of reorientation where God blesses him and there's this new normal, this new reality, this restoration, this comfort that he's received. And really our life 
typically is in one of these three places. It's either an orientation or things are normal or they're okay, or we're in a season of disorientation where it's, 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 it's chaos, it's a mess, or we're in the place where God's restoring and we're seeing that. And we, we just find ourselves in those different places and the Psalms are a beautiful place to go. And we see these cycles in our life. We see, you know, there's charts on grief, on the phases of grief, but grief isn't linear. We can experience all of those things all at the same time in the same day. And it's just so complicated. But, uh, you know, as, as we wrap up here this morning in just a few minutes, the worship team's going to come up. But, but after that, I've invited a Dr. Alan Novian, uh, who is a, a family counselor. He's a therapist. And he's here. He's part of our church family. And we're going to have a... a a grief after party, if you will. Uh, we're going to have a, a, a post-service discussion, him and I are, for about 10 minutes. And we're going to talk about the sermon. We're going to talk about grief uh, from a therapeutic, from, from his perspective. And, and I just want to encourage you. I'm not finished with the sermon yet, but I want to encourage you to, to participate in that, to, to watch it. I think, if, I think you'll be blessed by it. And I think you'll be encouraged. I think you'll be, you'll be helped by it. You know, the other thing you could do to follow up on this is, as a family, or if you're there alone, or maybe you could call somebody that you know in the church. But what are, what are you grieving in this season? Is, this, is there something that you're grieving even now? And if there is, if there is, don't bury it, but acknowledge it and respond and, and maybe have a discussion about what you could do as you wait. How can you come to the Lord? How can you just acknowledge the season of grief that you may be in? But let's let the Let's let the old birth the new. You see, God has new season for us. Even in the midst of this season, of this year, of this craziness, God has something new. God has something new for you as a church, for you as a people. He has something new for us as a church, for you as an individual that, you know, we can't, um, we, we, we don't want to just live life as we've always lived it, that we are losing things. We're grieving losses that we're experiencing. But I believe God has something new for you in this but if we don't grieve our losses, if we, don't, if we try to bury it, if we try to stuff it, we're not able to enter into all that God has for us. You see, unless a grape is crushed, there can't be wine. Unless a grain is crushed, there can't be bread. Resurrection only comes after a death. The promise in this verse is that he will comfort those who mourn. And his word comes and he, he comes and he comforts us. And this, even this word comfort, it means it comes from the idea and the word of the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And he comes and he brings us comfort. Even as Paul says that as we've received comfort from the Holy Spirit, then we're able to give that comfort to others. So this morning, pay attention to your pain. Wait and turn to God in this in-between time where you don't know what's going to happen. Let the old birth the new. Don't hang on to the past. Don't hang on to what has been. Allow the Lord to bring something new about in your life. I want to I want to conclude this morning with the uh, a story out of, I, th I think it's Mark 10. And the picture here is of Jesus gathered with his disciples, and there's a crowd around, and the kids come. And as the kids come, they, they, they climb on his lap, and the disciples try to, uh, try to push the kids away. And he says, no, don't do that. Suffer these kids. No, let these kids come in, because of such is the kingdom of God. He's like, these kids are important. I want them here. I love their simplistic faith. And can you imagine yourself this morning as one of those kids? You're one of those kids this morning. In fact, if you just close your eyes right where you are, you're, you're, just imagine yourself as a kid coming to Jesus. 
And would you just climb up on his lap, just as you are, would you just, in your mind, in your heart, would you just, as we're going to sing a song together about Jesus being with us, Jesus being present, Jesus coming to us, would you in this moment, whatever you're grieving, whatever pain you may be in right now, would you just come and would you just receive from Jesus this morning?